The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wines. It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style. Is this laced with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, say, Ponzi! <laughs> Welcome back to episode 12 of Ride Between the Wines. This is your host, Mike Wine Guy, and this week I was lucky enough to have a little road trip with Brian Hogue, wine director and resident sommelier for Hall's Chop House in Columbia, South Carolina. Brian is one of the most passionate, knowledgeable, and humble folks around, and I was very excited to pick his brain. Uh, heads up, this episode is a little bit different, as it was a little longer of a trip, and I might have said one or two things that did not belong on here, so forgive the small bit of editing. Other than that, if you're buckled up and ready, let's ride. Well, welcome back, podcasters. We're in the car. Yeah, I got a recording. Uh, <laughs> We're, we're in the car. Uh, uh, today's guest is Brian Hogue. Uh, Brian Hogue is the psalm for Hall's Restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and we are driving back from Asheville. And I thought I would pop the podcast on. We just came from a Guild Psalm uh, blind tasting uh, session. With with Jeff Kruf, um, uh, Master Psalm. Is his last name right? Kruf? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that right. Um, so yeah, how was that? It was a lot of fun. It was like you were just saying. You, you know, you you read a lot about wine and, and you study your ass off and, and you try to just learn as much as you can. And then you, you go to one of these things and you realize <laughs> how much further you I don't have know to anything. Go. Yeah, it's like you know, it's, it's it's fun though. It's good. It's good to, to challenge yourself and to just you know get somebody else to kind of ask the questions that you haven't asked yourself already, you know, what do I know about this, what do I know about that, or, you know, have you ever, especially in wine tasting, have you ever considered looking at wine this way, or that way, and, and you know, you, you just learn so many different things that you never really thought about before, and you add that to your repertoire, and you go back and you practice some more, and hopefully, you know, a month down the road, when we blind taste again, you'll be that much better for it, so. I certainly hope so. I feel like, uh, I feel like... Um, one of the many things that he touched on, I think there was a, he, he did a lot of specifics, mm -hmm. but I think I got more out of some of the overarching, uh, themes of wine tasting. One of the big ones is the one that I know you and I have talked about when we blind tasted in the past, but not knowing what it is immediately, not going, Oh, this is California Chardonnay. It's so it, easy to do It's that. so easy to, to, and then you... And then the, the thing, and he made a good point, because I do the same thing, is that um, every other question you ask after you decide what the wine is, is just uh, your brain making you say that. So yeah. it's like, uh, well, how was the acid on this wine? Well, if I've already decided it's a Riesling, then apparently it's a very high acid. You know, like, yeah. you, 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 uh, you make them fit. And I thought that was... Um, I, I felt like a lot of what he was doing was... Uh, teaching you how to get out of the way of yourself, you know, turn turn the brain off for at least that part, and you know. So you put the idea in your head. Of course, naturally, your brain is going to gravitate towards smelling the things that you expect, versus actually analyzing it and and letting your your brain figure out. Okay, I smell this. 
all right, what else do I smell? And just keep going through that step-by-step -step process of what's the fruit, what's the acid, what are some secondary notes, what are some tertiary notes, like is there oak, is there not, you know, and then tasting it and getting all those little bits and pieces of information and then going back and reviewing all of that, okay, what have I got here, what grapes could this be based on everything I observed versus, like I just said, you know, picking up the glass of white and you smell grapefruit and you're just like, oh, this is New Zealand, New Zealand Sauvignon. Sauvignon. That's it. End That's of story. It. Yeah. I got this. I don't need to do anything else. We just, just show me the bottle. I know I'm right. <laughs> like, you just can't do it that way. You're, you're, you're just, you can't. Well, I, I enjoyed that very much. I, I've always liked the detective game. I feel like he did a good job of, of pointing that out too. You know, it's very, everything is just, it's a detective game. Clearly everything in front of you. And I feel like for most of the room, we just needed somebody to tell, for most of the wines, to tell us that we're right. Like, you can talk through it. It's like, okay, so you realize that this is uh, higher alcohol than the, I don't know, we're trying to decide if it was a French Malbec or a mm -hmm. Argentinian one, maybe, or something, and it's like, oh, well, yeah. the alcohol tells you the difference. It's, it's like, you have all the facts in front of you. He was just telling you to do a better job of figuring out yeah. what all those facts mean and, and put them in a logical order. That's the biggest struggle, I think, for you know, being you know, pretty much a novice to intermediate uh -huh. wine taster for me at this point is that it's you know the information you can pick out red fruit red fruit versus black fruit you right. can pick out you know high acid versus not very high acid high alcohol versus just like really none at all it's knowing how to connect all those dots that gives me the biggest hundred percent and and catching yourself you know when you when you arrive at a, at a conclusion or you're right there and you're between one thing or the other and it's like well what makes the most sense you know you know we talked when we were doing our last white wine and it was either um, I think it was either Semillon or um, I think I think the other grape was Shannon uh, yeah and we were going back and forth it's like okay well we just said the alcohol is you know fairly high maybe moderate plus so we're thinking in the 13 and a half 14 range somewhere in there and the other grape you said was semillon well what's a typical example of semillon it's hunter valley australia and those come in at like 10 super low right yeah so like does your you know make sure your conclusion matches what you noticed in the wine um that that was really an important distinction i learned too is going back and double check yourself does this make sense so well, I was. If any of my listeners get the opportunity to uh, attend any any Guild Som event, I would I would say go for it. Absolutely. Very very informative. Money very well spent. Absolutely. And also the other resources too. The all the stuff on the Guild Som website. You know, <laughs> I guess we're plugging Guild Som. Yeah. <laughs> um, We've just decided but, um, that's what this is now. You know, if if, if any of the listeners are, are interested in wine and taken the introductory uh, Court of Master Sommelier's course or are thinking about tasting it, they're going to get a free membership anyway. Um, so that's kind of an important distinction. You know, you're, you're going to have access to these materials. And he's got lots of videos online going through blind tasting and all that. So yeah, definitely he, money well spent. And we, I, I haven't checked it out yet, but he said that, that they've completely added a lot more specifically about blind tasting. Yeah whole new section which open we'll forum. be looking at later open yeah. forum yeah so which is great here's some tasting notes what do you think it is he he, de he described it as reddit like yeah. which is fun to me uh, but uh, I like that. uh well okay well i think we'll probably end up inevitably talking about that again at some point but let's talk yeah. a little bit about 
um, what you do. So, uh, unless I'm misspeaking here, I don't think I've had a working psalm on my podcast yet. It's mostly been um, distributors, winemakers, uh, restaurant owners. Oh, i got to get out of this line. <laughs> the, uh, the podcast picks up every fucking uh, bump in the road. <laughs> you see, we have microphones right here. Yeah. it's it's We're mic'd, but I still, until I buy an expensive mic... It's not uh, great. North Carolina um, doing their best impression of South Carolina. Yeah, I was just going to say, driving on the South Carolina roads, I think is... I have proof on <laughs> on film, and on tape. Uh, anyways, all right, let, let's get back to actually talking. So what I was saying was that I don't have... Uh, I haven't had a working psalm. So tell me a little bit about um, what the job of a psalm, at least in, um, in your regard, is. Yeah, it, it's... It's been my it's my first position in that role. Um, you know, I've always worked in restaurants and, and, and loved wine, but I think to a certain extent there's this kind of fairy tale stigma to psalms that are you know always you know sipping or smelling a glass of wine, savoring a bottle of champagne, <laughs> this glitz and this glamour thing, uh-huh. you know that that kind of comes along with you know being able to call out all these wines like it's this vintage from this place. It's in this kind of soil, and it's just like that's that's kind of like a, a really small portion of, of what an actual that, song, you is, know. Yeah. But like the the, the nitty gritty of it is, is a lot of inventory management. It's a lot of educating your staff on on what they're selling and, and how to talk about it with guests. Um, and the most important thing, if you, if you know, if you're kind of able to do it, is not teaching your staff and, and, and talking to guests in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable. So, you know, we're not going to talk about wine, you know, from the, the kind of the, the, the dirty aspect that we love getting into. You know, we're not going to get into the chemical compounds, and we're not going to get into the, you know, this vintage versus that vintage. You might do it, like, mention it offhand. But, uh-huh. You know, you're just going to describe the wine in a way that's comfortable for them. You know, what do you like to drink at home is a, is a favorite question I always ask, and, and, and I can get into more of that later, but it's a lot of education and, and making everyone, your guests and your staff, feel comfortable with wine. And then, you know, you have the inventory side and the business side of things. Of course. Figuring out, all right, you know, what what sells in my market, making sure you have, you know, enough of those offerings on your list, um, and you have your little section of the list that you sell that you're really passionate about. And then the other section is, is for, for listening to your guests. What what do they want? What do they want to drink when they come into your restaurant and, and, and putting those things or making them available to them, giving them a reason to come back. It's like, hey, you know, I got this wine you were talking about last time. Come on in, check it out, have a steak or, or whatever. Right. Um, and then there's the, the number crunching side of it. You know, you've got to maintain your inventory and make sure that the uh, all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted. Make sure your, your cost percentages are right. Make sure the business is actually profitable and making money. Of course. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of different little things. And just kind of managing them all and balancing them. Tell so. Let's talk about um, let's talk table side a little bit because um, that's very interesting to me. So uh, let's. Uh, I assume what happens is uh, the servers at the table. The question of wine comes up. Um, maybe it gets a little bit beyond what the server wants to handle, sure. and uh, they say, you know, we'd like, uh, would you like to speak with our psalm? Yeah. Brian would like to come over and chat. And so from that point on, how do you, how do you generally handle it? Kind of walk me through your thought process. I always try to just, you know, the first thing you want to do is you, you mentioned that that kind of, or I mentioned that stigma that psalms kind of have. 
present yourself as, as like way up high on a mountainside. Like you're you're right there with them. You're you're from your old friends. You're you're greeting friends or people you know, welcoming them into your home, and making them feel comfortable. You know, and just finding out what they like. It's it's not about what I want to drink. It's not about what I want to sell you. It's listening to what they're looking for and what's going to make them happy. You know, you know people sometimes get into wine pairings. It's like, no, what do you want to drink? It's going to make you happy. People ask, what do you recommend? It's like, well, what are you in the mood for? Um, just having that dialogue with people and making them feel like they're picking the wine and not the other way around where you're, you know, having them drink something that maybe they have nothing about and they're not comfortable with, um, whether it be price point or style or, you know, but you're not going to, you're not going to serve, you know, a Bordeaux to someone looking for a Napa Cab. You could, and they'd probably like it. Maybe they won't. But Dude, you got to stop. This is, uh, this is gold. And I Killing it. We might have to wait till we're in South Carolina. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play some of this back real. All right. After ten minutes of us playing with microphones, uh, we've decided to settle on lapel pin. Uh, I guess. Let's. When, uh, when Brian actually. Let, let me, let me get it on my lapel here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We. So. Uh, I am Ron Burgundy. Right. Yeah, we're, we're locked in. That'll be for the outtakes. We're locked in. Um, all right, so let's backtrack a little bit because I want to catch, and I guess until I edit, I won't know what I caught or didn't caught. Yep. But, uh, but let, let's backtrack just to um, how you analyze a table. Let's start there. So you, you come up to a table, uh, take me through your process with the guest. Yeah. So I, uh, I always get as much information from the server as I can up front. Um, you know, what pages of the wine list are they looking at? What have they mentioned to you? Um, and, and what are they, um, you know, what are they talking about? You know, what things have they mentioned so far? Because the, the, really the three things that I want is, is obviously, you know, what style of wine do they like? Um, but I'm also looking for price point. Absolutely. And I'm okay. looking for opportunities to upsell. Um, and, I, and I won't always upsell. Um, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna necessarily always do that, because again, it goes back to making your guests feel comfortable. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across as like that that stereotypical used car salesman. You know, pushing. You know, pushing this or that. You know, right. trying to get it out of the door or anything like that. Like no, like everything on the list is is something that you're proud to sell and proud to offer. Absolutely. But you just have to find the right home for it. And so knowing what every guest is looking for and trying to figure that out in a, in a, in a just a friendly, inviting way, making it feel like it was their idea, not yours. Um, that, right. That's ultimately the goal. So, How, how do you handle price? Yeah, so I, 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 I'll ask them a couple of different questions. You know, those are my go-tos. Um, you know, what do you like to drink at home? Um, you know, what are your go-to bottles there? You know, and, and if they give me things like, for example, like, oh, we love Camus. You know, we love drinking Camus. So that, you know, that tells me right there, if you're drinking Camus at home, so you're spending, you know, 80, 90 bucks on it at the store. Um, so you're probably maxing out, you know, if, if you would have, if you're going to order Camus in the restaurant, you just would have ordered it. You know, but I'm going to start in the hundred dollar to 120 range okay. on, on my list, and I'm also stylistically. You've told me you like Canis, so now I have a type, a specific type of cab that, that you're looking for. You're looking for heavy extraction, rich dark fruit. Um, you know, really big and bold on the fruit side of things, versus something from 
you know, somewhere else, like a mountain cad that's going to be really firmly structured and dry and have that, that kind of that pencil shaving graphite kind of, uh-huh. kind of quality to it, you know, or an Alexander Valley, which is going to have that same kind of dry, like intensely structure to it as opposed to more on the fruit side. Um, you know, I'm just paying attention to little things like that. Nice. Uh, and so uh, the questions that you ask the guest, do you, I, I hear a lot about, um, uh, say the, the guest is really in the mood for a big California shard. Do you ever have any reason to steer them away from what they have asked for? Do you, do you feel it's your, if, let's say they had, they're a big cab guy. Do you feel like it's your job to say, well, if you like cab, you'd love something from Sicily and I throw out some more obscure grape or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'll always ask, um, you know, are you looking to, you know, stay inside your comfort zone tonight or are you feeling adventurous? Are you, are you feeling like trying something new? I'll, I'll try to phrase it in a friendly and kind of, you know, clever way to, to make them feel like they're like, oh, you know, let's, you know, you know, you got a, you got a young couple that, that loves drinking Napa Cab, you know, it's like you kind of dare them to take a walk on the wild side or something. I like that. Like make it fun, make it fun for them to kind of, you know, take that leap of faith as opposed to just, you know, throwing it out there, you know, well, if you like this, then you'll love this. Um, I, I would, you know, you can do that, um, but I always ask first, you know, what, what kind of mood are you in? And then kind of going from there. Well, what, um, at what point does a pairing or what they're having for dinner come into the conversation? I assume most people order their bottle of wine prior to dinner. Mm-hmm. Is, is what they're going to have a conversation or is that wait for bottle number two to worry about? Or? Uh, sometimes, sometimes they'll do it for you. Um, they'll, you know, especially at a steakhouse like Hall's, um, they will um, they'll say, well, we're having steak with dinner. So we're having red. Right. Okay. And so, you know, you have, you have that aspect of it. Or they'll, they'll phrase it in the form of a question, you know, like, well, we're having this, we're having this, we're having this. And he likes cab. I like Pinot. You know, how do we meet in the middle here? You know, uh, and then you always have the ones um, where they're just, they're going to drink what they want to drink. Regardless. Period. It doesn't matter what the pairing is. And I always, I always say that's the most important part of wine pairing is if you know the, the guest has to drink what they're comfortable and happy drinking right you can make the most awesome wine pairing ever created on the face of the planet and if if the wine that the guest is drinking that you recommended to them is something that they're uncomfortable with and that they might not even like you know it's just a style of wine that's just not their cup of tea then you really haven't done your job it's not about it goes back to that thing it's, it's not about the song it's about the guests and, and listening to what they really enjoy because that's really what's going to make you seem um, like you're doing a really good job to them is how happy you made them at the end of the day I love that yeah it's and uh, what's their, your, it's what, their money you what, what's your success rate um, <laughs> so I uh, I've only ever had one time where I kind of went out on a limb, and the only time I would ever do this is is if I know I have a guest that they're just like, yep, you know what kind of wine I like, but I want to try something different. Uh-huh. And so I'll, I'll kind of play with that, and you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll get it wrong. 
like, you know, I don't like this. I like my other wines better. We'll do that one next. And, and that's fine. You know, if, if a guest sends a bottle of wine back because you took a shot in the dark and it didn't land, so be it. Um, but I always, I always kind of joke um, with my guests. I, I tell them all the time, um, you know, hey, listen, if you're, you're, at, you're asking my recommendation here, you're trying something new. Look, if you don't like it, I want you to send it back. I'll drink it after work. Right. We'll just pick something else. <laughs> right, yeah. And they, it always gets a laugh out of them. And, and then they sometimes they ask me, it's like, oh, has anyone ever done that? And I was like, yeah, no, unfortunately not. They just don't, <laughs> they don't seem to want to take the hint. Um, and so it's, it's a that's good way to kind of endear yeah. yourself to people. That's a good line. It's a good way to kind of to people. And they, it makes them feel like you're not trying to pull one over on them. You're just like, look, if you don't like it, say so. Not going to hurt my feelings. I didn't make it. Yeah. I didn't make the wine. Yeah, I like 100%. it. I like to drink it. But if you don't, say something. Like, we'll pick something else. Like, you've got plenty of, plenty of wines on the list for you to go for. Uh, tell me this. Uh, how many bottles of wine, how often do you taste the wine with them? If you, you recommended a bottle, do you taste it off scenes? Do you open it table side and have them taste it and you're never part of it? Mm. What? Um, the number, usually when I taste wine table side with the guests, it's for one of two reasons. Um, well, three reasons. Uh, one, if they if they brought in their own wine, and it's something that they they're like special to them, you know, some vineyard in Napa where they had their honeymoon, or or you know they had this at their their wedding, or you know birthday wine, or whatever they've had it in their cellar for twenty years. Grandpa, you know, gave it to them as a birthday present, whatever it is. And they um, want to share. They, they want to share. Off they want you to. Get your... They want you to. T- they want. You to t- they want your seal of approval is yeah. what they want. <laughs> they want you to say, oh, this is great. Right. And, and always, you always, you know, make them feel, make, make what you say match the occasion. Like, they're obviously looking, to, they're drinking the wine, they brought it in for a reason, it's for a special occasion. So your response should always be, oh, this is fantastic, this is good stuff. Now. Unless it's corked. Do you? Honesty is also. Right, you know, yeah. You, you have to be honest. You know, I've opened I've opened bottles of wine at tables before, and uh, you know, you, you if it's really bad, you'll uh-huh. smell it before you even get the cork out of the bottle. You'll smell that wet dog. That yeah. That it's. <laughs> I always my favorite description of it is uh, if you ever leave a bag of carrots in the crisper in your fridge for like a year, <laughs> and then you pull it out and you're like, it's all wet inside. You uh-huh. know, and for whatever reason. You know, what do you do immediately? You open it and smell it because um, you're curious right. and, and you like to know. It's just like, oh, is this still good? Nope, nope, should nope. I smell that? Um, now, what if, uh, so that's specifically cork, the mm-hmm. wine's bad. Yep. Um, what if they just held on to it too long and there's no fruit? Do you say, yeah. say this is just, I'll be honest with them. Yeah. yeah, I'll be honest with them. A lot of times they kind of know. They know. Yeah. You know, it's, you get a lot of that sometimes with, um, most of what I see is really old Napa cabs, you know, from the 90s, um, or, or wines that weren't quite made to age that long. Uh-huh. You know, you'll see it every now and then, but um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's it's fine. You know, you see a lot of high-end stuff. You know, they bring in you know your Harlan Estates or, or things of that you know that kind of um, you know area in the wine world that, that we're meant to. Um, Would you say the majority of the stuff people are bringing in? Uh, and we're in Columbia, South Carolina. Would you say that the majority of the stuff people are bringing in is California? Almost exclusively, everything that I open for for guests bringing in wine is either Napa Napa cabs uh-huh. or uh, Bordeaux. Interesting. Almost always, and I, I think that's a that's kind of an interesting mark. I, I took a look at my sales the other day because I was just curious what the mix was because. 
you know, you, you think a lot about, you know, an American steakhouse, Columbia, South Carolina, people are, are fairly traditional and they're going to be drinking, you know, big, bold cabs from California. That's, that's kind of the, 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 I don't know, I don't know if you'd say stereotypical pairing, but, uh-huh. you know, you drink Napa cab with steak. That's kind of right. like an American that's all thing, we do. I yeah. guess. Um, but that's not, you know, obviously if, if you like wine and you're, you're well versed in, in your different styles and in countries and whatnot. You've tried a lot of different things. You you'll do whatever you're in the mood for. Right. But I see a ton of Bordeaux and Napa Cab. That's probably ninety percent of what I see. Very interesting. Hmm. Tell me about um, tell me about your staff. Uh, they're great. Um, the, the staff is that's one of my favorite sides of of actually um, having this job is is getting to teach and instruct people that you know five years ago that's where I was um, and, and their eagerness to learn and their eagerness to to kind of get into the wine world and just kind of scratch and sniff see what they like see what they don't like um, just just looking at it new for the first time everything that they smell and taste in wine is new they've, they've never had you know some things like you know Tempranillos from Spain, for example, or, or Sancerre before, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they might know California Chardonnay or Pinot Grigio or Cabernet or Pinot Noir, uh, but they've never had some, you know, Super Tuscan or anything like that. Right. And kind of helping them along that process, it, it's fun to see them explore and get excited about wine. Um, our, our staff's great. They've been really, really inquisitive. They ask me a ton of questions. Um, they, they come to me all the time. It's like, hey, how do you sell this? How do you sell that? Um, that, that really makes me feel good that I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm getting their, their brains turned. I'm getting the gears turning um, and that they want to learn. That's great. Because that means that they're going to provide that experience for their guests too. And that's, that's ultimately what, you know, running a restaurant and being in the hospitality industry is it's it's making people feel happy and putting a smile on their face so yeah. i love that well that's a that's what a psalm does it's a server it's, it's a you know you're serving the wine you're it's all about service and i like that that's when good. they when they get into it and they learn it and they can do it too it uh it really makes the restaurant as a whole look great it, it builds that trust with people when that server comes in and that first impression they make it's like oh man look at all these wines i don't know i don't know many of these wines what do you recommend and the server can just pinpoint it's like oh we have a steak tonight boom i love these two cabs and maybe you might think about this bordeaux if you just want something drier even in that just simple basic wine language knowing what goes with what steak or knowing a few words to describe you know the wines themselves and giving the guests that confidence to go ahead and order it and build that rapport with people They've been great about um, kind of jumping at that opportunity and really um, Good. That's learning great. all this stuff. It's such so. a, it can be such an intimidating thing. I'm, I remember with oh, servers yeah. back in the day, you know, you, you found the ones like you always wanted to dig deep into it, but there's a lot of servers who, uh, where they, they, they purposely would not even talk about bottles of wine because they were yeah. afraid of opening them, you know, without even thinking about how important it is to have a bottle of wine at the table. So that's good that you've got a staff that's excited and, and, and taking advantage of all of it. I think one of the things we did early on was, you know, it, it helps too. This, the, it depends on the, the kind of restaurant you're in, the environment you're in, you know. Uh-huh. Um, you know, what, are, what kind of style of restaurant are you, are you running? What's your, your game plan there? And for halls, it's all about, you know, the special occasions. You know, we do a ton of anniversaries and birthdays and 
graduations and uh, engagements and you know Jim got a new job and we're celebrating a promotion uh-huh. and, and all this so that that you know helping you know just kind of helping that along and building on it you know they're already in a good mood they're already ready to celebrate and just kind of nudging them along it's like oh well, we got up. you know try this great champagne try this you know this great cat it's fantastic you know just making their night even better so well tell me this uh kind of in the same vein as uh, celebrations, this and that. How how um how do large formats work? I know you guys go through a lot of large large formats. Mm-hmm. Do you bring it up? Do they bring it up? When? How often are you actually using them? It's uh it's on the back page of the menu, so they kind of got to flip back there, and um, a lot of times they don't see it or know that we have it. We don't have a ton of them, right? But we we've got the the basics in large format: a couple pinots, a um, couple of napa cabs, prisoner. Um, you know some of those those easy sells, nothing too eccentric or esoteric, um, and, and then you, you price it at a, at a point that gives them you know an excuse to, to jump in there. It's like give them a, you know give them a little discount, and you save a little bit of money, and then it's it's kind of like the it's just a, a fun thing to have on the table. You know, it's, see that's what it seems like a fun when you said events with people and celebrate yeah. to me that seems like that's an excuse to yeah let's get a three liter or something out here like, that just seems awesome it's like what do y'all want you want me to come to the table four times and, and open up four bottles of wine <laughs> you have to stop what you're doing and i'm you know changing out the glass stopping to make you taste each one or do you just want this large format so y'all can get back to enjoying what you're here in the first place it's kind of that um that silent service you know being, what's the largest is three liter the largest you have uh i have a six liter that i haven't had to open yet i'm kind of terrified of it is it Champagne? Is no, it sparkling or it's no, it's a six liter of Silver Oak Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> Kramer, thank Kramer for that. Yeah, that's uh, great. Um, got eight decanters on standby, ready to pour. Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not pouring into a glass from that thing. It's Silver Oak. It's Alexander, is that? Yeah, or? yeah. That's, that's a two-hander. I'd like, I'd like to watch that. Yeah, that's a two-hander for sure. I'd have to have the servers nearby. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, one other thing that I don't know what you're saying uh, that made me think of it but um, have you ever had somebody uh, try to trip you up do you have people who go in to just say so oh yeah big song he knows his stuff mm-hmm. so tell me about X Y and Z you know mm-hmm. do you have that happen or is that couple a couple of specific examples recently um, I was telling you the story earlier about um but I, I, I guess it had come in with some of his buddies, and, and he uh-huh. knew wine. He, it was very apparent right from the get-go that he knew wine. But he made it a point to call me out on my price of a certain bottle of wine that he had bought at, at uh, another restaurant, you know, the night before, and we had it on our list for significantly more. Uh-huh. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, I see what you're doing here. Good job, you know. If, if you can get that kind of money for that bottle, like." You know, good on you. I guess you gotta you keep the lights on and all this. And we're not gonna say the restaurant name, but it's a very yeah. dissimilar concept yeah. and uh, price it's, point it's and just, everything. You know, yeah, it's different style, different ambiance, different this or that. It's you know, I think you know, he, he was a very nice you know guy. After that, we had good conversations about wine, and he took all my recommendations. But it was just like. You know, like, hey, you know, yeah, I am trying to run a business here, and you already explained it to yourself why my price is higher. So, like, why did you have to call me over to the table to tell me that in front of all your friends? So, it's yeah, it's kind of that, like, oh, I'm going to show him kind of mentality right. that I'm in charge here. It's like, but okay, you can sell me one if you want to. It's like, all right, man, like, whatever. Like, as long as, at the end of the day, as long as you're happy. Like, right. I'll stand here, I'll listen, and I will I will do whatever I need to do to, to get that next bottle of wine on the table. Uh, another one is um, 
this one was kind of more fun. Um, but yeah, these, this, uh, there's this old, uh, I believe he was Polish, um, if I remember correctly. And he, uh, he was a big wine drinker, loved drinking wine. Uh, he was really excited uh, about, you know, talking wine and figuring out what to order. And he, uh, but he calls me over and the first thing he's like, oh, you're the wine guy. Uh, let me ask you, you know, do you know where the oldest grapevine in the world is? And I, you know, I, I actually have that trivia question on a, a little index card uh-huh. in my little shoebox at home, and and I, or, or so at least I saw, I thought, um, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" I was like, "Yeah, well, you know, to the best of my knowledge, the oldest one I've ever heard of is in Slovenia. It's about 400 years old, um, and it uh, it still produces, you know, like like one slightly grape. less than a gallon uh, <laughs> of of wine a year. It's uh-huh. red. Uh, it's." Um, I can't even pronounce it. It's because it's in Slovenian, so I'm not even going to try to. Uh-huh. But it's like, you know, this wine that's reserved for, like, you get it in, like, little perfume bottles. Like, it's that small amount of juice and, like, only, like, presidents and foreign dignitaries and kings and queens. And you and I are never going to taste it. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's not rolling anything out. we got a long way to go <laughs> in life. But, but like, like, yeah, we'd never see it, you know, for the most part otherwise. He's like, ah, oh, no. No, it's actually from Iran. Iran has it's uh, I think it said it was like 2,000 years old and I was like okay I can see that wait 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 the vine <laughs> is 2,000 years old yeah and in my head it was like okay is it still producing or, or what like I, I didn't press him for information but I was like okay I got I got work to do and, and I said all right well you know what kind of wine are you looking for and he he started getting interested in Italian wines and I was like oh cool uh, say no more I've got a wine for you and I, I brought him a super Tuscan from an Iranian producer and I got a good laugh out of him. That's and great. So he was he was really happy. And then from there, we just tried a bunch of different things, and and it, it was a great experience for both of us. But yeah, every once in a while, they'll they'll push you a little bit to see see if they can throw you <laughs> off your they, game. Yeah. Wait, have you? Did you go online? Is there a two thousand year old pine in Iran? No, I didn't look. Okay. Oh, no, I, I. We we need to do that later. Yeah, we'll find out what the answer I, I is. I want to know what. I want to. See, I wonder if it's still producing. Uh, maybe there's a distinction. Oh well, there. I'm sure that they're... You know, like yeah, <laughs> that's, it's still that's a different it's still alive, but it doesn't bear enough fruit to to produce any any juice from. You know, you just you eat them. You yeah. Know? Ripe ripe grapes are del- especially at that concentration. I'm sure they're they're absolutely delicious. But by the way, I don't know if I'm going to put this on the podcast, but uh, I have an amazing genius idea. Mm. If I were to ever have a wine, I would buy some land with relatively new vines mm-hmm. and I would call it might be this isn't going on the podcast because I sell it no it might be the worst wine that I've ever had <laughs> it is I don't I don't even know I, I mean I can't even and I, I you know I'm really honest it's like one of the things I'm bad about with sales like I can't mm-hmm. I get it's good and it's it's good like when you're with an actual buyer who appreciates that but like I can't with a straight face with the general public sometimes they ask me my opinions of things and like and I'm not judging. I'm just like, I don't have anything intelligent to say to you right now because mm-hmm. what you're talking about, I would never in a million years spend money on. It just tastes so bad to me. Mm-hmm. Or it's an abomination. It's a concept that's an abomination. Of, uh, you know, you brought that, what you just said made me think of uh, something that I come across fairly often is um, you're, you're really, really beginner wine drinkers. Uh-huh. Um, I see a fair amount of those. Um, you know, people come in, um, you know, just getting into wine, or they don't drink wine, but they're at a steakhouse and everyone else at the table is having wine. Right. So they feel like they need to drink wine, and um, it, it's really fun for me to to talk wine with them um, because you know more often than not, you know, people are like, oh, you know, we're 
we love wine, but I mean, we like Boone's Farm, or we drink, you know, you know, White Zin, or you know, this or that, and people like almost like they almost shame themselves for drinking this cheap wine, but it's kind of like, well, it's it's because, yeah, it's because you've like, you don't, you don't care. That's fine. I'm for anyone that wants to drink wine, go for it. I don't care what it is. Right. Drink it. Like it's, it's amazing that you drink wine because that gives me an opportunity to have a job like I do. And like you have, that's like, it's awesome. Like I, I, I try to tell as many people that I meet that are in that, in that category. It's like, right keep drinking it like there will come a time in your life hopefully when you <laughs> when you branch out and, and try you know new wines and expand your palate but even if you don't um that that those dollar signs at the end of the day that big companies and restaurants and, and big business looks at it's like wow look at you know the the market share that wine has in what Americans consume on a yearly basis, um, and that drives investment. That drives more people getting interested and, and wanting to maybe open their own vineyard or or produce their own wine or, or whatever it may be. You know, get into the distribution game or in the importing game. All of it is good um, for everyone involved in the business. So I, I say cheers to anyone that wants to drink wine. And also, it tastes good. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic stuff. Those those Italians are on to something. Uh, you know, like I looked at I looked at uh, I was just rabbit holing on Google, and I was looking at you know the oldest people alive in the world, and there is a Sardinia. significant <laughs> portion of them from Italy and in southern Italy especially, and it's because they're drinking all those red wines with all those tannins and all those beautiful healthy things for your heart and your cardiovascular system oh man there's a there's a it's a, an absurdly high percentage of people from Italy it's great <laughs> makes me very happy yep that, that you know I, I talk so much that I don't know what stories I tell to anybody in Italy um, the I, you always hear about the Italians and how much they drink mm-hmm. but it's um they drink um, more frequently, I think, than we do, or at least than I do. Mm-hmm. But they drink a lot less at a sitting. Like, yeah. I have sat down at Italian restaurants or with Italian or with French. Fuck, same thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, my glass will be gone and I'll be looking for bottle number two and I realize I'm the only one in that situation. Yeah. Like, everybody else is completely... Uh, it's a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a weird thing to me. It's something I didn't consider. It, it's interesting. Yeah, there's, there's some really interesting statistics on it you know the United States as a whole is a really really big consumer of wine worldwide but it's only about a quarter of the population that drinks it you know (laughs) versus what you just mentioned you know Italy and France it's it's a much higher percentage of the overall population that drinks wine but they have a glass here and a glass there so you have you know you can you work out the proportions there um, but our our per person consumption, you know, of the people that actually do drink wine is much much higher. Yeah. Than you know what what uh, people in, in other countries are, and I'm sure that mine is a driving force in that. Yeah. Judging by all the bottle empty bottles I have at my house right now, yeah. everything I've been tasting. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm guilty. No. Yep. All right, there we are. All right, we're back in the car for the final leg of the journey. Um, and hopefully we finally found a spot where the roads aren't horrible. But I 
but still go in and out. Something about our rough interstates just makes me feel at home. Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're back on South Carolina interstate. I feel weird oh, this is driving. Nice. Oh, see now <laughs> I feel weird because it's a smooth stretch of road. All right, let's talk quick. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, but the the only other thing I think that we really uh, haven't addressed yet is I kind of want to talk about the path um, to Psalm. Um, now, so we we say Psalm. Um, we're referring to two different things. Right, so when I referred right. to you as a psalm before, I was referring to you as the sommelier position in a restaurant, a working psalm, right. which is everything that we were talking about. Right. Um, but now I kind of want to talk about the uh, the path of education um, with certifications that inevitably, I guess hopefully, the end of it would be master sommelier. Yep. So, um, so where are you on that path and what are your... What have you done to get there, and, and what's next, I guess? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I started with my uh, my intro um, intro certification through the Quartermaster Sommeliers, um, just you know, your level one, you know. Um, then from there, I, I wanted to work towards taking my my level two certified sommelier, but I, I just I was having trouble, you know, digesting all the information. It's just so much stuff to know. And I, and I found it useful to, to kind of look at it from different angles and different viewpoints, um, which is what I, I kind of took the CSW. Um, just kind of got the opportunity by chance. If you'll remember that Banfi tasting you invited me to and, and met um, Susan Cormick, who, who was from my hometown, Myrtle Beach. And, and she, was that Tallulah, right? Uh, uh, seller. Seller. Oh, is it seller? Okay, seller. And um, you know, just got to talking to her afterwards, and she was very kind and offered to help me out with that. And I said, why not? You know, um, you know, more certifications the better. And just you know, learning about wine is is you, you, there's a lot of repetition to memorize all of it, and you just have to go over it again and again and again, and it's easy to get burned out. So I, I really enjoyed looking at it from a different perspective. You know, the the way that the court looks at it versus. The, uh, the the Society of Wine Educators looks at it, um, and that kind of got me to thinking. It's like, well, what other angles can I look at it? And um, eventually started talking with some co-workers who were looking at working harvest, um, going to wineries, and just you know, working harvest, working crush. You know, I'd, I'd heard of people going to do that, and so I, I said, well, that sounds like fun. You know, twist my arm, and uh, started applying for scholarships online. Uh-huh. Found a great one. Sounded great. You know, with it that was willing to give you a little bit of a stipend, um, you know, and send you out there and put you directly in touch with specific wineries. Um, and that was through the Jimmy Mansebach Foundation, which is through Southern Blazers. And um, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect to get picked for it. You know, I was figuring I was competing against, you know, a bunch of UC Davis grads and people that are actually going into winemaking. But why not throw your hat in the ring? And, well, and sure I enough, mean, none of those guys had glowing letters of recommendation from Mike Wine Guy. I, I think that I was a fringe candidate like <laughs> until they read your letter of recommendation. <laughs> just um, brought you right in. In, in fact, I, I specifically remember um, the phone interview for that with uh, the Jimmy Mansbach. I interviewed with um, his sister, uh-huh. um, and she she specifically mentioned. She's like, "Yeah, your recommendations really pushed it over the edge." <laughs> um, Bullshit. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, so no, they, That's they, great. they were nice people and they, they kind of enjoyed this story that, that I am kind of talking about now. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they, they enjoyed 
the fact that I just up and went to France um, three oh, years yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, you skipped over that, yeah. I just, I just kind of up and decided, you know, you know, three years ago that, hey, you know, I've never gone outside of the country and I really like wine. Where do I want to go? You know, if I've been saving for a while and let's let's just pick a place on the map and go. And uh, that ended up, ended up being France and just getting out there um, for two weeks on the ground. I just landed at Paris, did the, the sightseeing stuff for a couple of days and then just got in my rental car and went and drove all around the country visiting, you know, different um, wineries in Sancerre and then Dijon and then Burgundy and, and going and walking beside Ramanikanti and, and seeing the vineyards there and kind of what makes that place so special and, and drinking wine in downtown Bone and, and just meeting all the different people along the way, travelers or people, you know, there was a, a woman from Arizona there that, that lived in bone and just had a little wine and kind of houseware store and she was really fun to meet or this lady at a, at a cafe that i met in paris that lived in washington and raised horses and just all this it was, it was just it, it instantly fell in love with, with the, the country and the world and traveling yeah. and um and the wineries too getting getting to see for the first time um you know the, the cellars at gagal and standing on top of the Cote Brune and having a sense of place uh -huh. for where these wonderful Gacal wines come from that I had, had become familiar with and loved drinking. Um, you know, going through the Provence and, and seeing, you know, Garrigue and, and lavender and all these like gnarly bushes and the smells that go uh -huh. along with it. Um, you know, you name it, just going around the country, getting to Bordeaux too. You know, standing outside the gates of, of Lafitte Rothschild, hoping that someone would see me and let me in. Um, they, they didn't, but, you know, I at least tried. And, um, <laughs> Can't fault that. You know, but just like seeing it, you know, and getting a, getting a sense of not just, you know, reading about it in a book. I, that was really important to me, um, wanting to experience it and, and, and seeing where all these wines come from. So, um, you know, it started in France, then I, then I sat for the intro, then I took the CSW, and then I ended up getting that scholarship to go out to, uh, to California. Um, okay. Could have been placed with Aubon Clement or Heights Cellars, but ended up getting placed with Hansel, which was great, uh -huh. wonderful people. Three-month internship, staying on site, um, you know, so I got to do everything from going out in the vineyards and, and gathering samples to doing lab work to testing, you know, where bricks were, measuring acidity levels, figuring out, you know, when the grapes were going to be ready to harvest and then actually harvesting. Um, you know, we actually got to go out. We didn't do much picking, but um, the picking crews, you know, they're, they're paid by the ton, so they get kind of upset if, if you go right. out and pick the grapes. you got to let them do their thing. Fair enough. Um, but, um, you know, we went out and harvested like half an acre of Malbec, which was fun. Um, but, you know, sorting through Chardonnay and Pinot and your arms are just like sticky after about four hours. You just got to go take a bath to get all the sugar off. Um, the smells of fermentation. Um, you know, when, when Chardonnay starts firming and fermenting and these beautiful like bready, yeasty smells and then all of a sudden the next day it's like pineapples and melons and apples and pears. Oh, and it's fantastic. Just, it's all you smell all day and, and then you get to start, you know, barreling down the wine for a little bit of aging and you start testing the freshly new, you know, wine, you know, seeing it evolve from grape juice into just wine itself and then, you know, testing it as it's in the barrel and seeing how's it doing, you know, where's it at, you know, we, we did some barrel tastings too of prior vintages to see the impact of different barrels from different producers and how the oak aging impacted the wine individually because they used uh, eight different barrel producers and um, 
and, and you, we, we sat there and tried the exact same wine, just aged in specific barrels, and, and how it impacted the wine differently, and then you know evaluated that, well, what producers do we like more, and which ones do we want to use more of going forward to get the style that we're looking for. I think the one thing that I took away is all this, the, the teeny tiny little details that it takes that go into making wine. You know, you know, fruit's not harvesting at the rate that you want it to. Well, then you got to go through and cut a little bit of the crop off. You know, it, it sucks to lose some of that yield, but it's better for the, the wine in the long term. Right. Um, you know, oh crap. You know, it's it's getting really really hot. Um, you know, we we need to really be careful about how much water we're giving these wines. Uh oh, the deer and the birds are becoming a problem. We need to start you know going around on four wheelers and trying to chase them off and put netting up um, and all this stuff. Um, just everything. The list goes on and on and on and on and on that winemakers have to monitor, you know, temperatures during fermentation, um, all this stuff, you know, then punch downs, you know, like that, you didn't even get into the red wine yet, uh -huh. you know, having to, you know, your cap management, and, you know, during the fermentation process, you know, uh-oh, we got VA, you know, what do we do, you know, start doing the pump overs and do them four times a day instead of two. And just, it, like I said, it's ridiculous, the level of detail. I have yeah. so much respect for what they do. I think my, you know, I, I sat back at, you know, at the end of a, of, of a long month and a half and I looked at one of my most recent paychecks and there was, a, there was a, I'll never forget, 147 hours in a two-week stretch. <laughs> and, and I didn't feel it because I was having so much fun, you know, the, you know blissful ignorance. But for those folks, they do it year in and year out. It, it's not something that they, you know, the, 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 the luster of it's worn off. So I just had the utmost respect for what they do. Um, it was really, really cool to kind of see it from the beginning and study it going forward, as opposed to just you know the finished product. You know, we get their postcards and the bottles, you know, and, and get a glimpse of, of what they did for that vintage. But to see everything that they did that goes into making a vintage, what it's eventually going to be in the bottle, it was really special. That's uh, fantastic. I do, yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I recommend I'm so jealous anyone that yeah. wants to do it. Like, if you if you think even think you want to do it, look into it. You know, just just start sending emails out. Flyers like, hey, I'm interested in this. And it doesn't have to be California. You know, it can be North Carolina. It can be Virginia. Um, you know, there's not nearly as much labor and help um, on the East Coast as there is West. Um, so you can, you know, all you all you can do is ask. You know, if they tell you no, so be it. But, right. Um, if you want to go do it, I highly recommend it. It was an unbelievable experience. And so then you came back, and yeah. what was the next leg? Came back, and uh, that was um, how I got to, you know, I, I came back with some things that I knew I needed to work on. Um, blind tasting. Uh, it was my first time kind of blind tasting with a master psalm while I was out there, who, um, who we just met, Jeff. Same Jeff, yeah. Um, he was very gracious and gave me some pointers on stuff I needed to work on. I felt really strong about my theory, but there was a lot there that I needed to work on and study too. Spirits, beer, um, all the little teeny tiny details. Um, and then I've been working on that, and it's it was kind of a perfect timing, you know, as fate would, luck would have it, fate would have it, whatever. Um, the halls came calling right when I got back to Columbia. And so um, it was beautiful. Now I'm, I'm working in a position as a wine director and, and focusing exclusively on wine. And, and the, the level two test is fast approaching. I'm going to be taking nice. that here in the fall. I haven't scheduled it yet, but um, I'm excited 
to, to actually schedule it and have a date, a firm date where it's like, all right, here you go, time to, it's go time. It's got to have time yeah. to hit the books and really and really nail this and knock it out of the park. So I don't know how much more you can hit the books than you're already hitting the books, but... <laughs> it was always more. <laughs> always more. Well, awesome. Let's see, is there anything else we should talk about? That's, uh, I think that covers most of everything. You know, I, I, I would say, you know, just one final little note uh-huh. is... Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had these moments where I'll get burned out or just, you know, I have to step away from from time to time or I'll, I'll blind. I just have an absolutely terrible couple of days where I can't blind taste for shit. Uh-huh. I just can't do it. I don't smell anything. I don't taste the things I'm supposed to be tasting. And it, it, it can be a frustrating process. Um, but, you know, just just remember that, you know, you know your, your body and your mind, like anything else, are they're never always going to be 100% spot on every time. So just stick with it. You know, you're not going to always want to study. Don't. You know, this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be enjoyable. You know, you're for anyone pursuing this path, you're doing it because you're passionate about it. And just, you know, Great. know that and, and and be be able to kind of, you know, tell yourself that and, and keep an open mind about it. Um, you know, reach out to people, you know, you know, share stories and, and share things that you've read or share things that you've tasted. Um, go out to your local wine bars, go out to your local restaurants and try new things. Um, just always find new ways to kind of approach it from different angles and, and kind of refresh that, that that curiosity and that, that passion that got you interested in it in the first place. Um, it, it's really been crucial to, to kind of keep myself going. Um, and from talking to other people, it's, it's something that everyone in the profession hits a wall, you know, sooner or later. Um, so just keep keep pushing and, and, and talk and, and create your community around you and your support group and find tasting groups and things like that. It'll really make make your enjoyment of the whole process um, that much more, that much greater of a memory. When you finally get to whatever your end goal may be, whether it be Master Som, whether it be Advanced, whether it be, you know, CWE or We Set 3 Master or whatever it is, Master of Wine. Master of Wine. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever your goal is, just always be looking for new avenues for education and and bettering yourself. Um, There's always something to learn. And there you have it. Thank you very much for tagging along. Um, Thank you to Brian Hogue, of course, for being my special guest. Thank you to Reeves Rutledge, the voice of the wine guy. Thank you to Robert Gardner for the amazing jazz music. Um, And thank you for everybody at home listening. And thanks for RNDC, Republic National Distributing Company, for allowing me to have a job where I can ride around with all these cool wine folks. Uh, Join me next week when I meet with Glenn Jaggard from Klein Cellars and oddly discuss Sonoma and Sardinia in the same conversation. Until then, chin chin.